Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. Rob, how you doing? How you doing, Shag? Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited. We're only like three months behind. Two and a half months. The long overdue episode four. That's right. Uh, two and a half months behind, folks. Well, I guess technically we said monthly, so one and a half months behind. Either way, here it is, folks, the brand spanking new issue of Who's Who. We have not given up on this project. Believe me, we love it. We've just had so many other big things going on in the world of Firestorm and Aquaman lately. That's right. So, uh, yes, we are going to cover Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, Volume 4, uh, which starts with the cadre and ends somewhere you'll have to find out soon. <laughs> it's, really, it's really not that exciting. <laughs> what do you get to it? Well, I mean, I, I was accused of being spoilers of where it was going to end, even though it's printed right on the cover. But anyway. <laughs> um, well, folks, okay, it's been two and a half months, so just, I mean, in case you've forgotten, in case this is your first time listening to this, just or you're not familiar with this comic that was published almost 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it was a 26-issue series, and it was done celebrating the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. Uh, it ran parallel to the legendary Crisis on Infinite Earths, and um, essentially Who's Who is an alphabetical listing of not all the characters in the DC Universe in that time, but the vast majority of them. Um, the cover, which we'll talk about in a minute, always has this great jam of characters. Um, each entry includes, uh, like, has a beautiful drawing, but then also has uh, information about the character. It has, like, their alter ego, occupation, marital status, you know, all that kind of jazz. Their first appearance, height, weight, whatever. You know, It doesn't have their zodiac sign. I'm just saying. They could have they gone that extra step. But gives you their history, their powers and weapons, all that kind of jazz. Um, the, the books also tend to come with pronunciation keys. And, um, you know, one of the things I've always, it always amazes me when I go through these is that they were able to afford to do this with no advertisements. Yep. Which blows my mind. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this issue. Again, if this is your first time, we're going to go through this thing page by page. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not even kidding. It doesn't get any less ridiculous every month that we talk about that. Right, exactly. And uh, now, you know, some of you for some crazy reason, might not have these comics or have committed them to memory from 30 years ago. So um, what we're going to do is we have a Tumblr site where we will we'll select, eh, I don't know, 5, 10 entries from here, and we'll upload those to the Tumblr site. And that, what's that site, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There you go. And uh, so check that out after you listen, or while you're listening to the podcast or after, and you'll see a few of the different entries out there. Give you kind of a flavor for this one. And... Um, I guess with that said, we're going on in. This is the June 1985 issue, and uh, for those of you who are Roman numeral challenged, it's volume IV. Um, Now, set your way back, machine folks, because this thing actually hit the shelf 
on March 21st, 1985. And uh, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that exact date, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's it. Oh, that's very so handy awesome. feature. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, what do you think? Let's start off with the cover, Rob. Uh, why don't you tell the folks a little about the cover? The cover is, as always, a wraparound cover. It's by George Perez and inks by Dick Giordano. The main character is, of course, Captain Marvel, aka Shazam, which makes sense. He's one of their biggest, one of the single biggest combo characters that ever existed. Um, just below him is Changeling, who was sort of like in the second tier spot, which makes sense because at the time the New Teen Titans was, you know, probably I think DC's best-selling book. I believe it was pretty close to it. You know, I know Firestorm was, was up there too, but um, so, yeah, but New that was Teen nice. You trying to start off nice? Is that yeah, what this well, is? It's, it's a true statement. <laughs> um, I mean, it was. Uh, but anyway, New Teen Titans was one of the biggest books, so any character from the New Teen Titans was going to. And I'm sure Perez had a little, you know, the fact that he was penciling it. <laughs> a little bit of favoritism in there. Um, <laughs> but as always, there's some great interactions. I mean, in the way in the background, you see Chemo, which is great. You know, the big uh, chemical blob creature. Um, you see the two cat women standing, cat women standing next to each other behind, in front of Catman, which makes sense. Next to next to the two cheetahs, so that's great. Yep. They all hanging out together. Um, you see them sort of. You see um, Captain Boomerang is throwing one of his boomerangs, and it's whiling around, and it's being deflected off by. Uh, well, it's bouncing around, um, and it bounces off a cannonball thrown by one of the cadre. And you fastball. See, fastball, that's right. And you see the other heroes here. You see Captain Comet looking kind of startled and Captain Adam. You see the Challenges of the Unknown. The Challenges of the Unknown is a nice bit because they're sitting there with Cave Carson. And behind yeah. them is uh, the Overmaster from the Cadre. And there's the one guy, I think Rocky from Challenges of the Unknown, just kind of looking like, what the hell is that thing back there? <laughs> um, <laughs> Boys, we've got trouble. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. And you see the, um, the characters from Camelot 3000 are up in the right. Now, they were not part of the DC universe. That book is, exists outside the DCU. So it's this is like your only shot to sort of see these characters intermixed with the other characters from the DCU. So it, it, it's sort of representative in that they're there, but they're kind of set off a little, and they're not really interacting as much with everybody else. Well, I'd, I'd also go as far as to say I think this is probably the only time anyone other than Brian Boland drew with Camelot 3000 characters. I think you're right. I think you're right about that, yeah. Um, so say, you know, these, these jam covers are always a lot of fun. They're always just, you know, it's like a big party, and it's, you know, they're – the heroes and the villains are kind of fighting, but sort of not. It, it's 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 a blast. Oh, and like the way in the back there, you see Captain Fear looking like he's about to face off with the Cavalier, which makes perfect sense. They're both the pirate characters, so I thought that again a nice touch. You really Perez is really like a perfect guy to do these covers because he knows these characters, you know, like in in and out, and he sort of figure out their their personalities and could have them interact in very interesting ways. Well, I like how you've also got the World War II characters, Captain Storm, I believe it is, yeah, Captain, Captain Compass. Yep. And they're they're climbing the ice wall with their with their pistols drawn. Yeah. It's you know, great. like they're going yeah. after fastball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then of course you see also Captain Carrot in the in the cover. They're yes. flying around with uh, Captain Marvel. All the captains are sort of flying in a in a circular motion. So it's it's beautifully you know crowded cover, but it has to be. But it's very very well laid out. Of course. I've got a couple different comments on it. Um, Notice Captain Boomerang throwing the boomerang because the boomerang is doing exactly what a boomerang should do. It's coming back to him. Right. That that will play a role later. Uh, just tuck that little nugget away for later, kids. Um, I did like uh, the the Captain Cold has got this huge ice slide that trans that covers the entire length of the diagonal of the of the cover, and it allows a lot of uh, standing and, and ground space for people to interact on. I think that's yeah. really cool. 
thought that cane, was a nice you touch. You see Kane from the House of Mystery tucked in there? Yep. Yeah, Changeling actually just transforming into a polar bear and walking on the ice at one right. point, which is neat. Um, now, here's where i got to give some criticism. I, I feel like the inking was probably a little rushed on this one. Like, if you look at people in the background, or they're not as detailed as maybe, say, the first cover. Uh, I, I think Dick Giordano's a great inker. I just think that maybe this time he was in a bit of a hurry. I'm sure he was always in a hurry. <laughs> he's a busy man. He, he, a busy he was man. like vice president of DC Comics on top of doing all the other work he was doing. So I'm sure he was in a hurry. And I was shocked when I, you know, it's like when you see Catwoman, the two Catwomen next to each other, it's like, wow, other than more cleavage, their costumes are identical. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize that until you see them standing right next to each other. So, and then one last comment. Look at Captain Carrot's face. He is so excited. <laughs> <laughs> So that cracked me up. He's happy to be treated with respect as opposed to the mocking that he got in the robot chicken episode. Oh. <laughs> but it was so, he got recognized at least. <laughs> so, great cover though. Overall, absolutely love it. And um, it's a, it's it's definitely one of the fun ones. Yeah. It's bright and cheery as the Who's Who series should be. Yep. All right. Uh, so anyway, so on the inside we have the uh, pronunciation. First of all, there's no letters. Uh, so it's just a big blank page. That is so so strange. (laughs) You're not used to that in comics. So when you see something, you know, you think, was there a mistake? Did did somebody bump the printer as they were, you know, but no, they, it was before, I guess they started getting letters and uh, they had nothing to say. So they just, they just left it blank. It's it's two thirds of the page is just white. (laughs) Great. Yeah. When you first see it, it's like, okay. But the first first issue had like a, you know, sort of a story about who's who. The second issue reprinted that story. Right. Uh, I don't remember what the third issue had necessarily, but yeah, clearly they, they're like, well, you know, we're out of time. Let's just wait. <laughs> um, there is a pronunciation glossary. A little briefly, there's one for Black Orchid, Block. Uh, it's interesting that they're, they're doing pronunciations from the previous issue. Yep. Uh, Black Orchid, Block, Bawana Beast, Fifth, they're all from the previous issue, so. Um, I'd have to go back and, and listen, but I, you know, I, I'm willing to bet just off the top of my head they probably didn't have the pronunciation glossary in the last issue. That's probably why. Yeah, um, and, the, the, and then they cover a couple from here, Cadre, Cavalier, Celsius, Chameleon Boy, Camo, Cheshire, and uh, Chlorophyll Kid. So. You know, for us as a kid, having the uh, pronunciation of Chlorophyll Kid is probably pretty helpful. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have to notice, I want to notice the credit there, Brenda Pope, as proofreader, I did not envy her her job. Oh, jeez. I, I can only imagine it's the sheer amount of text you had to go through. Well, that's probably why we don't see her later on in comics. It probably drove her mad. Yeah, probably. Oh, I just checked up the, uh, the third issue of Who's Who. Had a, did have a letter. Uh, but oh. it was just the one letter that they answered, and it did not have a pronunciation key. So that's there it why is. they did it. So. Anyway, uh, as, as Shag said earlier in the show, we'll do it page by page. So uh, so if you have the books with you, uh, you know, I, I think it helps if you have the, the books. But, but we try to do the show in a way that you don't have to have the books as well. Um, it opens up uh, with the cadre, which was uh, pretty much the Justice League Detroit sole supervillain that they faced. I guess you could count that other guy, the Ox, but you know, let's not do that. They uh, fought at some other supervillains, buddy. They, well, but I mean, these were like villains created just for them. Well, this, yeah, this was their their opposition team, and this was the team they fought when they started. So. Right, and I think that has. I think when you look at this team, that reveals a lot about Justice League Detroit. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's drawn by Chuck Pat and Mike Mocklin, great team. They who did the Justice League book together. Um, you see the little headshots of the characters: Overmaster, who was of course the the, the, the head guy, Black Mask, Crowbar, 
Fastball, Nightfall, Shatterfist, and Shrike, uh, all of which I think were never seen again after Justice League Detroit wrapped up. No, they a few of them showed up here and there. Oh, did they? Believe, oh, okay. believe it or not, a couple okay. of them, yeah. All right. Anyway, it's a nice listing. It's, you know, a lot to fit in a tiny space, uh, but but uh, as usual, Chuck Patton does a, does a nice job. Yeah, and, and the thing with these team entries is they just give you the history of the team. They don't break down right. anything right. by character, really. Um, now, here's a couple things. One, I found funny when I was reading it that Black Mass originally had been six foot nine. No, I'm sorry. He'd been six feet tall and only 94 pounds before he got his powers. 94 pounds. A six foot tall dude who's only 94 pounds? Yeah, That's I know. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and also, I think this team sort of speaks very much to that mid-'80s um, superhero formula that kind of went on, like – I, and, I, and I noticed it more as a role-playing guy. Like, I, I role-played superhero role-playing games for a long time. Sure. When you would, thank you, because you have a podcast and a site dedicated to Aquaman. <laughs> um, anyway, so you really see some of the formula stuff that happens because you, you fall into it with, with role-playing games. Here you've got a guy with a melee weapon, a guy with a thrown weapon, an energy blaster, a physical puncher, a flyer. You've got, like, all the different types of powers represented. You know, all yeah. the major different. So it's it, it, it's sort of formula-based. And at the same time, it's clearly, you know, they're trying to go for, like, the modern thing with, like, the fastball kind of character and stuff like that. So I noticed that fastball has, like, chaw on tobacco. You look oh, at, gosh. You look at his cheek, and he's got, like, chew there. So he's really, he sure does. He's really taking the whole baseball thing very seriously. And, yes, he is. Uh, in terms of crowbar, I don't know how crowbar gets into his costume. I'm not. Well, maybe he uses his crowbar. Um, maybe. And Shrike, see, Shrike and Shatterfist just look very much like they stepped off the page of Marvel 80s comics. Right. I mean, Shrike looks like she's a, one of the Shi'ar. Yes. And and Shatterfist just looks totally like a, you know, Captain America villain or something, you know, so. Shatterfist feels like the only one that could have made it outside of this group. I feel like he had, the name is kind of cool and his look is sort of interesting. I feel like he could have made it out and been in his own thing, but I guess that didn't happen. Well, you know, Overmasters actually came back in a big way. Uh, he was responsible. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying good, but in a big way. Um, he is actually responsible. Well, actually, it's probably the writers who are responsible. But anyway, his character was the main villain, let's put it that way. In I think it's called Judgment Day. It was basically the big crossover that shut down the whole Justice League franchise. Um, he was? So they, I didn't so they know could that. Re, so they could reboot it for... Um, Grant Morrison. Because remember, we you know you had Justice League uh, America, you had Extreme Justice, mm-hmm. and you had mm-hmm. Justice League International, and all of them were floundering by the late mid nineties, mid to late nineties, and they they basically shut the whole franchise down with a big crossover, and it was him, and uh, they um, anyway, and and that's what did that because he's supposed to be kind of a big deal, like and, and it doesn't really play out in Justice League Detroit, but he's supposed to be like responsible for a lot of evolution and stuff yes. that happened on earth yes <laughs> so. yeah well the jerry conway was layering that in in that book at the time yeah so. yeah so interesting all right we've spent way too much time talking about cadre let's move the on. cadre deserve yeah. it <laughs> uh, next is kane drawn by joe orlando which is a, a perfect choice because of course he was the editor of all the mystery books from dc in the late 60s and 70s and he drew, it, uh, he drew abel a couple issues and he drew abel yeah so it's you know it's a perfect companion piece and then you know in the background there's the house of mystery and He's sitting on his uh, pet gargoyle. I think Gregory is the name of the gargoyle. Um, you know, there's not much to it. It's just him just saying I mean, he was just the host that, that uh, you know, read, read the stories. So, but, but it's a great, you know, it's, it's a great drawing. It just looks, you know, creepy but kind of fun. And, um, 
the logo is nice. Uh, you know, the whole the whole piece. It's a, you know, and Orlando really knew how to do well with the whole serpent thing in terms of the image in the background and being in the one color. I love that you see the House of Mystery in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's great. And the little bats are fluttering, and um, he's one of the rare ones. He signed the piece. You see oh. his name down at the yeah, bottom. Yeah. These artists generally do not sign their who's who entries, but but uh, I guess uh, he was either allowed to or he just went ahead and did it. Yeah. I like uh, – one of the things I've always liked about Kane is the fact that he's always murdering Abel. Yes, yes. And I was looking for hints of that in here, and, and the only – the closest you see is the I dot on the Kane logo is dripping in blood. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, didn't, they didn't bother with that – to get into that too much. And uh, this was – you know, this is after Kane and Abel had come into play in Swamp Thing. Right. And had, were sort of coming back into popular – into at least the popular consciousness, let's put it that way. Right. Like like- before their Sandman days. Yeah, yes. I like uh, in Powers and Weapons, he is listed as a subpar hand-to-hand combatant. They're really caught up in that. I mean, again, I, I talked about this before. I, if, as you read these, it's like during this particular period within Who's Who, I think the writers were really focused in giving people statistical abilities through words. Yes. You know, subpar, excellent, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. I like this little detail, too. Uh, base of operations, the House of Mysteries, somewhere in the Kentucky Hills. <laughs> I don't oh think my I gosh. Knew I don't think I knew that. I don't think that the House of They must have established it like in an old, old issue. Yeah, the House of Mysteries in Kentucky. So there you go. <laughs> so his first appearance was in House of Mystery number 175. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, because the first, for the first like 10 years of that book, it was more like a sci-fi book. Uh, yeah, and that's when uh, that's the uh, the Martian Manhunter was in House of Mystery. He he was okay. the main character in House of Mystery. Um, for those of you who are of a of a self punishing bent, you can go back to episode fifteen, listen to the episode <laughs> featuring uh, Frank, um, <laughs> who talks about talks about the Martian Manhunter's history and 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 his his incredibly convoluted history. How do we work? Picking on Frank into every episode. Oh, because it's fun. No, the House of Mystery was, you know, created in the fifties, right under the uh, the when the Comics Code had its biggest influence, and so the you know mystery it was mystery in the most blandest sense possible. It wasn't until the uh, very early seventies when the the code loosened up that they could make it more of a horror book, which was when they brought in Cain and Abel and started getting Neil Adams and Bernie Wrightson and all the really cool guys to do the work. And it really did turn into a sort of a horror book as opposed to a, you know, gentle sci-fi book. So the irony is they launched it as mystery at the same time they were crushing EC Comics. There you and then go. Once, then once EC Comics was gone, they went ahead and launched their own there EC Comics-style comics. It's the wonderful world of comic books. I tell you. All right. <laughs> anyway, next up is our loser page. Uh, this is a oh! – <laughs> I think <laughs> these are two of uh, Batman's lesser lights – uh, the Calculator and Calendar Man. The Calculator is drawn by Alex Savick and Terry Austin. The Calendar Man is drawn by Pat Broderick. Um, like I said, both of them, as you see, one of them is a first appeared in Detective Comics 483. The other one is Detective Comics 259. Again, neither one of them is, is, is you know, going to be appearing in a Batman live-action movie anytime soon. Let's say that. Um, you're sort of kidding, right? No, like- I'm not. The calculator? Yeah. He's big time, brother. Oh, get. get no, I'm not kidding. No, he's not. Stop it. Yes, he is. No, they uh, about 2005, they brought him back and he was like integral to all the main DC crossovers. He stopped being a supervillain and became a super genius interconnected guy. Okay. All right. He was basically the supervillain oracle. <laughs> 
Uh, okay. I, I mean, clearly the gaps of my comic book reading are becoming evident because Shag's <laughs> talking about all these crossovers. I've never read any of them. So I did not know that. You didn't read Infinite Crisis? No. You didn't? Re- okay. All right. Uh, Identity Crisis? I read one, two issues of it and then I threw it in the garbage and never read it again. Wow. So you missed the death of Firestorm. Um, spoiler. Sorry, folks. Like uh, so nothing. the calculator, what did you say? Nothing. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the calculator went on. It's interesting because I mean, he, you're right. This is a loser page. Absolutely <laughs> is. Because um, I mean, it's like even back then, you looked at these guys and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, never coming back. Yeah. However, someone, and I, I honestly think you know Jeff Johns or whoever, or, or maybe it may have been Brad Meltzer who did it. You know, who looked at this, you know, remembers who's who. Not that he remembers Detective Comics number four sixty three. But in some ways, honestly, I think uh, who's who's responsible for bringing some characters back. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Sure. So the concept of a guy who could play all the angles, yes, you know, and, and calculate out the odds, and then become sort of the the antithesis of Oracle for the right. or the or the same as Oracle for right. villains right. is just a cool idea. Oh, there's nothing um, in, there's nothing inherently wrong with the calculator as a concept, but this, the the name and the costume is so stupid that you have well, to even, rework it to make it work. Which of course they did. Apparently. Well, his powers are ridiculous too. He had this projector in his helmet right. that was linked to his chess computer, which, by the way, looked like our '80s watches. Um, well, it looked like that speak and spell thing that you right. And he basically was kind of like Green Lantern. He could create anything he could think of right. out of his little headpiece. Right, as you see, he's in the surprint. He's hitting Green Arrow with a boxing glove. Oh, the so, irony there! Uh, right. it comes out of his head. So <laughs> now it's uh, the, I love the font. Of the calculator. It's a great font. It's a so great, yes, perfect so 80s good. font. Looks like it's Texas Instruments, yes. Yep. Now, did you chance to say it's Alex Savick and Terry Austin? I did. I, don't know. I did. Okay. I mean, for what it is, they did a nice job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no the art is great. Both of them. Yeah. The calendar, man. It's just, it's just, the, the, it's sort of two, the, 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 the MOs of Batman's villain started to get strained after a while, you know, I mean, after the gimmicks. <laughs> and so you have two kind of very gimmicky characters on the same page. I just, it's just very funny to see. It's, it's Oh, yeah. Sad it's to read that the uh, calendar man is divorced. That just gives us a little inkling to his life. I imagine it, like, it's almost like they, uh, you know, back then they were st- still trying to create villains for the TV series. That would work in the TV series. It does series. feel that way, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> um, uh, but, but we do much better. Costume? Than... I... Oh. What's that? I'm sorry, I was moving on. <laughs> well, I've always liked his costume. I think and it's mainly because of probably Broderick's drawing, but he has this cool cape made out of, uh, like, calendar sheets of paper like you drip off from your calendar and they're all like, glued together to make his cape. But if you look at it, honestly, he really looks like a Walt Simonson designed character. He does. With the flat, the flounce boots and the big... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright. We've given them more... Yeah, more yes. Alright. We are really... We gave so much time to Cadre and now Calendar Man forgot this. But uh, much better with the next listing. It's a double page spread of Camelot 3000 drawn by the incomparable Brian Bolland. Um... This is just gorgeous, just gorgeous. I love this series. I re- I thought it was great. It was, uh, and and Boland does it does it quite a, a, a does it. I can't think of. A, I can't, I'm blanking on a phrase. He he does a check. Come up with a word for job. No, that's like the standard. I'm saying he really represents it well with this two page okay. thing. I think it looks. You got the headshots of all the characters. It's breathtaking. It's absolutely it's breathtaking, guys. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And, you know, uh, not to – I want to, like, drag politics into it at all because it's not politics. But Camelot 3000 was a fairly progressive book 
in terms of um, some of its storylines. And it was, you know, one of the first times these sorts of concepts were introduced to me because in this book, um, Sir Tristan is a woman. She, they, they, these are all the, the Knights of the Round Table reincarnated into the future. And Sir Tristan has been reincarnated as a woman instead of a man. And they end up having uh, – Sir Tristan has a relationship with, I believe it's Sir Lancelot. And that they had to sort of like get past that because of quote, sort of a guy that always thought of himself as a man is now reincarnated as a woman. And they sort of dealt with the whole ramifications of that. And that was one of the first things I'd, I'd ever seen, you know, like covered in any sort of um, – entertainment that I had ever watched as a kid and, and Camelot 3000 did it, did it quite well. So it was, it was a, that was a groundbreaking book in, in a lot of ways. Had some mature themes. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Now I actually, I did not read the text piece on the bottom here mm. because I've never read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want it spoiled. Like I know a lot of the stuff, you know, just you can't go 30 years without hearing certain things. Like I knew about Sir Tristan and things like that. Um, cause I, to this day, I still want to read it. So I was like, I, I'm not going to read the entry. Um, Bolin does an amazing job, as Rob said. I mean, <laughs> love Merlin's face back there, his scrunched up face, yeah. wagging his finger and, at Morgan Le Fay. And, and I'll just say, I mean, Queen Guinevere is sexy as hell. I mean, just it's a it's a simple pen and ink drawing, but man, it's Bolin just, draws amazing women. He does. Wow. Yeah, he's a genius. He's an absolute yeah. genius. He's one of those guys that's it's just. You know, you wish you could, you could do work faster or something, or you know, had a chance to do like longer form work. Yeah, it came out three thousand at the time. It ended up being really late. Um, it came out monthly, and then as it rolled on, it like there was like two months between issues, and then, like three months between issues because Bowen just could not get it done in time. But they also knew that you know they couldn't get in fill-ins. Came out three thousand had to be done by Brian Bowen, so they waited. They yep. waited, and uh, it was worth it. It, it. it exists as a collected edition. Yeah. Um, so it is well worth. I would. It makes this entry makes me want to read it again. I haven't read it in a long time. It makes me want to dig it out and, and read it. Arthur's face just he's yeah he's got his sword raised yep. and he's yelling like he's calling to war and it's just powerful. Yeah, great, great series. Um, next, up, and is it? Did, did we mention it's a two page spread? I mean, yes, that's yes. It was it was deserving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, he could cram all that in there. Um, now was Camelot? You know, was Camelot three thousand done at that point yet? Uh, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. The entry probably would tell you if I had Yeah, until the cycle begins anew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it had just finished, so it was still kind of current. Uh, next up is Captain Adam, drawn by uh, Dennis Cowan and Rick Magyar. It's kind of an interesting combination. They seem to be channeling Ditko a little bit. Um, well, probably on purpose, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, I think that's why they were doing is it just, it's, it, it's not, except for the face, it's not a very Dennis Cowany drawing and it looks like they are really trying to draw like, like Ditko. Um, his entry is listed as uh, first appearances, space adventures, number 33, which is of course not a DC book. That's really cool. Yeah. And you see in the surprint, his original costume there in the background. Now, if, if you take the time to sit here and read it, it's weird. Um, Frank's probably yelling at his, his iPod right now because um, Frank does do a Captain Adam and uh, Adam blog, by the way. It's uh, but it's his his pre-crisis origin is so different from his post-crisis origin, so very very different. And um, I mean, I was reading this thing again last night because I, I every time I read Captain Adam's pre-crisis origin, I just like I have trouble wrapping my brain around it. <laughs> and he, he's so very uh, Doctor Manhattan to some extent, you know. Yeah. I mean. 
if, if you don't know from the Watchmen, the Watchmen was based on the Charlton characters, and Doctor Manhattan was based on Captain Adam. And there's a lot of similarities there. Yep. Yep. And uh, strange costume. Yeah, it's weird. It's, the body positioning is weird. Like the heads. It's yeah. It's sort of an awkward anatomy a little bit. So. <laughs> but I, you're right. The uh, the the image of him in the background this, in the surprint is uh, really cool. Yep. By the way, that's one thing we didn't mention. You know, the way these things work is in the foreground, your character's in full color. In the background, which uh, Rob has made up a word called surprint, is uh, the, the drawing is all in a single color. So in this case, you've got Captain Adam, for example, all in full color. And he's bright and glorious, red, yellow, or red, uh, blue, and silver. And in the background, you've got it's just a kind of a dark green image all the way through. Right. And the logo is always in color, too. Yeah, and each logo is individual for the characters. Yes, one of the nice. I think one of my favorite features about Who's Who is the individual logo. Um, next up is Captain Boomerang by, of course, Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson. Um, I didn't realize that Captain Boomerang's hairline was like that until you see him without his hair, without his <gasps> hat on. Oh, see, that becomes a thing does, again, of course, around identity crisis. Where Captain Boomerang's pretty much bald. Okay. And he gets he gets overweight and bald, and I didn't realize that it had been established he was already balding. There you go. Okay. And you see him there clunking flesh in the head with his boomerang. Okay. Let's talk about that. Rob, when you throw a boomerang, what's a boomerang do? <laughs> it's supposed to come back to you. Is it supposed to do a swirly swirl in the air and just bang right down? I'm assuming it's a special boomerang. Okay. Then it's no longer a boomerang. <laughs> Then it's a special thrown weapon. Well, Captain's special thrown weapon doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> okay, well, I just think, you know, I was very pleased to see on the cover that Mr. Perez threw the boomerang doing what boomerangs actually do. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, what can you say? <laughs> this one's drawn by Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson. And I said that. I know, I was going to touch on that. I On previous episodes of Who's Who, we've talked about the whole Kurt Swan, Murphy Anderson Oh, uh, let's not, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Well, no, I mean, I think it's fair to talk about Carmen Infantino at this point, though. I mean, towards the end of his Flash run, it was not his best work. I think that's commonly accepted. You know, his early Flash work is astonishing and groundbreaking and amazing, and his later Flash work, you know, wasn't necessarily. And Carmen Infantino and Murphy Anderson together is interestingly not not a great combination. No, um, no I'm not, not a huge fan of it. You lose... Carmen's sharp lines for more of a superheroic smooth lines. So they don't actually complement each other, I don't think. Now, Murphy Anderson has done some beautiful pieces we've seen in previous issues, but I think these are probably not the best combination. Yeah, so. I agree with that. And if you read his powers and weapons at the end here, it's so weird. He says he's also, um, where is it? Uh, he has recently perfected a technique through which he is able to use his own body as a living boomerang and thus can hurl himself great distances. Wow, what a power. That's clearly something that Carrie Bates came up with that the other writers didn't pick up on. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. I guess it saves, <laughs> saves you getting out of uh, waiting in traffic and stuff like that. But, but you're going to go right back where you started, wouldn't you? Well, maybe he can... Well, maybe once again, it's the whole boomerang thing. I don't know. Then you're not a living boomerang. You just can fly. All right, all right, all right. Let's move on. <laughs> Next up is Captain Carrot. Drawn by Scott Shaw, of course, who was one of the co-creators of that book, along with Roy Thomas. Uh, I guess here we should mention Captain Carrot recently has received his own blog, courtesy of Fire and Water podcast fan Sean uh, Corey, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. 
I, um, that's how I'd say it. Yeah. So he opened up a Captain Carrot blog. Called Captain Carrot's Burrow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it, check you know, it out. There's a there's a link off Firestorm fan, uh, or just uh, I think it's Captain Carrot's Burrow.blogspot.com. Yeah, that blogspot. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's fun. Good yeah, stuff. It's fun. So yeah, this is a great drawing. Scott Shaw is a great artist and he crams a lot of information. You see, Captain Carrot tra- <laughs> transform. I feel silly even saying that. But here he is. He's eating his magic carrot and turning into a superhero. You see him with some of his powers, and you see him fighting a, a bad guy. And you even see the, their uh, their Captain Carrot headquarters there in the background, the giant Z building, which of course appeared later in the New Fifty Two Firestorm book. Exactly. I, and someone else had to point that out to me, was in fact that, you know, Zithertech simply, they, they didn't build that building, they just took over the Captain Carrot building. <laughs> um, you know, his name is Roger Rabbit. Yes. I, I wonder if Warner Brothers had a little problem, because I mean, Warner Brothers was part of the of the Roger Rabbit film, because Roger Rabbit, um, you know, they, they incorporated both Disney and Warner Brothers characters. Right. So I wonder if there was a, a little fuss about that, but... So this is a good example also of his first appearance is the New Teen Titans, which kind of leaves you scratching your head. Right. But back then, DC used to have these bonus books, like 16-page bonus books, right. inside another comic. So the first 16-page Captain Carrot comic actually took place inside New Teen Titans. Right. So yes. I, think I, I think I had Superman in it, if I remember right. That's, that's right. Superman always got dragged into those things. Yep. So i got to say, the, the Serpent on this drawing is possibly my favorite Serpent of the whole issue. It's very Just, well, very well done. Scott, Scott Shaw has different line weights, which is really nice. Some lines are thicker, some lines are you know thinner, so it really gives it some sense of depth to it. I love uh, whoever's shooting at him with like the the Tommy gun. He looks yeah. like a like a football mascot who's yeah. escaped. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a great one. Yeah. Absolutely love the Captain Carrot entry. Uh, next up is Captain Cold, drawn by Bob Smith. Uh, I, I like this. I like his position. I like his sort of cocky pose that he's got. Just leaning against this wall with his gun up, he's looking very, very. I love his holster. Look how pointy that holster is. <laughs> it's dripping like an icicle. Yeah, it's very nice. It's it. It's it's. Uh, I don't think I was that familiar with Bob Smith's work. I thought maybe I know him more as an inker, not as a penciler. But he does a nice job here. I think it's. I think it looks good. I wasn't familiar with Bob Smith. I had to look him up. Yeah, he's he's famous as an inker. He did a bunch of DC books like Flash and Captain Adam, which you know, sort of makes sense if he did Flash or I did this. But he's also famous as an Archie inker. I so, didn't know that. Yeah. In fact, that's going to be kind of a theme throughout this. There's a lot of Archie artists in this issue. Um, it's just, he's, he's fighting what looks like a frost giant or something in the on the in the serpent, which I you know I guess that's possibly was in a comic. I don't know whether they just made that up. In, it's been in, around in a long time, well. so it's possible. Yeah, it's a cool looking drawing. I mean, it's this giant yeti like creature. So and, yeah, the whole piece is like I said. It really gives you a sense of his personality that with that sort of like cocky smile and. And the good, the good, I love his name, uh, Leonard Snart. That's just, yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I tried to use my knowledge of that to get extra credit during a trivia contest um, at Dragon Con. Um, now, I do also want to mention, like, in the Serpent is, one, one of the things about the Serpent, they always show the character without their mask on in the Serpent. It's kind of like a shtick. You know, in, the for, in the foreground, you see the costume. In the background, you see him when, without their costume. And Leonard, Leonard Snart's back there, and he's got, like, a cigarette or a match dangling out of his mouth. But... He looks so run down and tired and dejected. Like, you know, he's a loser. <laughs> and I mean, he is. I mean, he, Leonard Snart never gets a break. And I just think that comes across really well in this drawing by Bob Smith. Yeah, it's nice. So. Uh, next up is Captain Comet, drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, Captain Comet is one of those characters that sort of straddles the Golden Age and the Silver Age, in that he appeared before 
the Earth One Flash did, which is, of course, showcase number four, which is sort of the unofficial, I guess almost official, acknowledgement of the beginning of the Silver Age. Yet he's not considered a Golden Age character. So he's one of these weird sort of, you know, he's thought of as Silver Age, and yet he precedes it by a certain amount. Um, first appeared in Street Adventures number nine. Obviously, he was a fan favorite of Mark Wade's and Alex Ross because he figures fairly large into Kingdom Come. Despite mm. most mm-hmm. people really not knowing who he is, he really was never that big of a character. He really, he had his own feature in Strange Adventures for a long time, but I think pretty much after the sixties, uh, he pretty much just disappeared for the most part. Well, he had a, he had a renaissance in the nineties. He was a member of uh, Legion, and I don't mean Legion of Superheroes, the L period, E period, G period, I period, O period, N period book. Oh, I didn't know that either. Okay. Yeah, he was cool. He's a cool looking character. I mean, he's very much a space age, you know, yeah. guy. Um, that was back in an era where they weren't creating a lot of new superheroes, so he was sort of this mix of, kind of like an Adam Strange type who was sort of superheroish, but really more of a sci-fi concept. But it's, it's a nice drawing by um, Murphy Anderson. I said, I think Murphy Anderson is sort of better when he inks himself or pencils or anything. It's, it's a nice drawing. You see him flying there, and then you see his close-up of his face, and he's standing there with his, uh, with, in front of the city, and then he's in like a rocket ship. It's a, it's a nice piece. I love it. I think it's a great piece. I love his yeah the, the detail work on his face, like especially even the flying portion of it. I mean, his costume is very Silver Age hokey, which is fine, and it looks cool. It looks great. It's actually a nice combination of color usage of red, white, and blue. Um, it, one of the things like th- I never connected with this character though. Like I, I never found a series where I really felt like I was getting him. Um, not that I had a problem with it, just I, it was like that was really my problem mm-hmm. more so than theirs. Um, his tagline was kind of always he was a he was born a mutant a th- hundred thousand yes. years before his time. That yes. was the thing. Like he's supposed to be what human beings would be a hundred thousand years in the future. That was kind of his shtick. Yep. So neat, yes. neat space age character. Early mutant. Early yep. mutant, long before Professor X. That's um, right. Next is my single favorite page of this entire book. Um, I can see that. Yeah. In that it, it for 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 a multitude of reasons. First of all, the the it's a it's a page with two characters, each getting a half page. Captain Compass, drawn by Graham Morrow, and Captain Fear, drawn by Walt Simonson. And not only do, I mean, those are like two of the best comic artists that ever lived together on the same page, Graham Morrow and Captain <laughs> Walt Simonson. Top of it, and, and so on top of that, it's, this is, to me, represents what Husu was supposed to be doing, which was sort of examining all the corners of the DCU. I mean, obviously, you're going to have a preponderance of superheroes, because that's what major, yeah, that's what DC Marvel did. But DC published a lot of non-superhero stuff, and this is them taking the time to talk about characters that were sort of out of, really out of the, the, the mainstream at this point. And just the fact that because of the alphabet, you can put them both on the same page together. You have a, you know, a sort of nautical adventure character, and then you have a pirate character uh, together. Um, I, I really loved both of I just This page, I just love it. If I ever had, like... If there was a list of who's who pages I could have of the original art, you know, this wouldn't this would not be number one because there's like Aquaman and some other ones. But I really would want to own this one because I just think they're uh, it's great. It's it, it's it, you know, it's two unusual artists tackling. I, I almost feel like these guys asked to do these characters. Mm. It seems like Walt Simonson's kind of a big name to tackle such a small character. He almost feels like yeah, did he ask to do this? It, it has that yeah. feel to it a little bit. And uh, I love the distinct because you said nautical. I mean, they're both nautical, really. They're both nautical, but, yeah. But there's a distinct difference in that Captain Com- uh, Compass is very realistic. Uh, it's very, you know, uh, military. 
you know, you get a real military sense for it because you've got your, you know, your scuba diver guy. You got him in his, his obviously Navy uniform. And then you got Captain Fear, we're also nautical, but it's, you know, the buccaneer look. Yeah. And it's in that Simonson, everything's bigger than life. Yeah. He's got a jacket, yeah. which really, quite honestly, no one could wear in real life. <laughs> no, but it just looks so freaking cool. Yeah. And uh, those boots are, you know, very Simonson. And just, and I think someone else wrote in about another character, like, I don't, I've never read any Captain Fear comics. But I got to think that this one single panel of Captain Fear is probably cooler than reading every single appearance of him ever. And he probably gets more cool factor out of this drawing than he probably deserves. Probably. I actually liked the Captain Fear strip. It didn't run very long. Oh, okay. I see. I've never read it. Yeah, it was cool. It wasn't drawn by Simonson. It was a little bit before he got into comics, um, which makes me, again, makes me think he probably asked to do this. He probably Um, read it growing up. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, it was like a year before he got into comics, I would say. This was Captain Fear first appeared in like 72 or 73, and Simon said I think he got into comics in like 75. But um, but, but it's, oh. it's it's cool. It's a really cool – it was a cool feature, and I would love to see it brought back, especially – I didn't realize it was that recent. Okay. Yep, I yep. just – you know, now that I see Adventure Comics 425, yeah, he was pretty uh, recent in, in the scope of things. Yep, yep. Whereas I assume – Captain Compass was probably like the fifties. That's, that's the forties. Star, okay, yeah. Star Spangled Comics number eighty three is from the is the forties. So yeah, that Gray Morrow drawing is just—it's really got me. Like in the Serpent, you've got him. Oh, you know what? There is no close up of Captain Fear's face in the Serpent. No, no. But uh, in the Serpent of Captain Compass, it's got just a close up of his face, and he's doing this thing where his eyes are shifting, like he's looking out of the corner of his eye. He looks that just that single drawing tells me everything I need to know about the character. He's a man of action. He's almost a James Bond kind of like mm-hmm. badass, you know. It's just oh, it's great. Great, great, one of the great comic book artists, one of the great sort of I don't say underrated because people knew how great he was, but he was never like a fan favorite. But uh, he was always a great, great, great artist. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't realize who he was until a couple years ago. You should be embarrassed. At that I was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Next up is the big. Uh, the big character, the big red cheese, Captain Marvel, drawn by Kirk uh, Burger. Uh, uh, what? What? Uh, God. What? I Captain Marvel pre-crisis to me, or oh, I shouldn't, stop. I shouldn't even say pre-crisis. Captain Marvel pre-DC. Let's put it that way. Is really hard for me to swallow. All right, he's, he was only the most popular comic book character ever published. That's fine, but it doesn't live up to your standards. That's fine, Jay. Um, Did, is he, was he? He was. He's outsold Superman? I know he came yes. close. Okay. Yes. In the All 50s, right. he outsold Superman, which is why DC sued them, sued uh, Fawcett, and put him out of existence. And um, then bought him up. And then bought him up and did nothing but him. Um, clearly, in this drawing, Captain Marvel is suffering from something, maybe a, an attack by Mr. Mind, because his head is way too small. And his legs. I mean, you can see, like, you know, so I like Kurt Schaffenberger a lot. I think he's. A great artist. His, his stuff he did in like Lois Lane in the fifties and sixties is tremendous. This is not one of his best drawings, by by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, I, I think the pose is kind of dull. I I, I almost think it, he deserved two pages. He was such a huge character for so long. I mean, he had his own TV series, you know, in the seventies. He had his own animated series. He was a huge, huge character, and he still is. He's still one of the most famous comic book characters to ever live. And, Shazam! Yeah, right, exactly. And one page, I just think, is not enough. And it shows you, you know, like, half the page is is, is his, his entry, because there's there's a lot to say. So, I just think... I think part, he, part of the reason he got a one-page entry is because while he was the world's most famous superhero comic, 
At this point, DC was not making a dime off of him. No, they weren't doing anything with him. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And, and he did, in a, in a sense, get two pages because the next page is Captain Marvel Jr. So, I mean, he right. gets both. Um, some interesting things in reading the text piece here, like Mary Marvel was just left at some wealthy girl's place in place of a dead baby. It's like, <laughs> And then Billy Batson followed some weird trench coat trench-coated guy down into a subway. I know, I know, what? I know, I know. I mean, there's some weird crap going on and here. Those, those, yeah, those are some great books. Those are those 40s and 50s Captain Marvel comics are really good stuff. Remember? Are they? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I do like how, and, and, I, and I understand why. Um, there's this whole thing here that they don't. They explain from a story perspective, but not from a real-world perspective, where all the the Marvel family end up in suspended animation. Yeah. And return to their lives, uh, they basically bec- decades later with like no interruption in service. Um, and I understand the re- the real re- the real world reason is that the book wasn't published, and then they brought it back, and they wanted to make it modern era, so they just said they were all in suspended animation and came back. But it's just funny to read it as you go through these entries, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Junior, and we'll get to um, I think it's Captain Nazi. Uh, it's just funny how they all put them; they all ended up in suspended animation. It's just, and no one asked any questions. They just came right back to work. Yeah, yeah. It, Here's a ten-year-old boy who's been missing for thirty years. He's back on the radio. If, if uh, I was, if I was doing a new Who's Who series, if I was a billionaire and I said I'm going to publish my own Who's Who's Who series, and I did this all over again, I would do give Captain Marvel two pages and get Jerry Ordway to draw it. Well, yeah. Now this is before Jerry Ordway had made Captain Marvel his own. Right, exactly. But I'm just saying that to me, he would be, he would be the guy. Oh, and by the way, for you kids at home who don't know who we're talking about, this is the new Shazam character that got introduced into uh, Justice League. So yes. that's interesting that he's now Shazam, which yes. sort of sort of makes sense. Well, it's a legal decision. So um, um, now I, there's one line in here which I just I don't get, and maybe you can help me out. Uh, a superior athlete, again, quantifying how good of an athlete they are. A superior athlete, Captain Marvel is also a master of hand-to-hand combat, although his magically endowed powers make most common fisticuffs <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> what? What What magical powers is he using? Well, like, I mean, flight, indestructibility, speed. It's got them all listed right there. Okay, but I just... Makes fisticuffs like let's say you're fighting a big bruiser. Well, all right. He was just saying that he has other powers, which I, I don't think it's that confusing. Jack. It was a strange statement. You know, kids could handle it in the '40s. Kids could figure it out, and yet it's beyond you. So, all right, that's I, fine. it's it's not beyond me. I just I don't all right, I have all right. issue with free DC Captain Marvel. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, next up is Captain Marvel Jr. drawn by Dave. Oh, hooray! Dave Cockrum. <laughs> in the background, we see him pasting Captain Nazi one pretty good. Um, Dave Cockrum is clearly trying to emulate the work of Mac uh, Rayboy or Mac Raboy. I think it's Rayboy. Mac Rayboy, who drew all the Captain Marvel Jr. features in the 40s and was one of the great, great comic book artists. If you look at those Captain Marvel Jr. covers from the 40s, those are startling in their 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 beauty. So I think that's what he's trying to emulate here with the lighting. Mac Rayboy did that kind of very dramatic, underlit lighting a lot. And I think that's what Cockrum is trying to do here. I, I like how um, his brother Christopher is listed as semi-deceased, <laughs> which if, if you know your Captain Marvel history, that's because his brother is Kid Eternity. Welcome to the world uh, of the DC Universe. Right. I just – I love that. <laughs> semi-deceased. Semi-deceased. It's, you know, it's, Good uh, luck that. getting a social security card with that. 
Right. I mean, that's uh, what was it um, Princess Bride? Mostly dead. Yeah, most, um, yeah, yeah. Now he has a really. If you read this, he has a really, really tragic history. And, and also, was, like Captain Marvel, he's got half a page dedicated to text. Cause a he's lot got of sadness in the Batson family. <laughs> I mean, his parents are killed in a hurricane. His grandpa's murdered by Captain Nazi. He's got this lame leg. And then Captain Marvel declare, just declared him junior. Even nice. though they have, according to the entry, they have equal powers. Yes. And he can't even speak his own superhero name. Yeah. I mean, he's got it rough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough being an orphan yeah. back then. Yeah, this is back then before uh, they care, you know, they uh, felt like they should be nice to kids on crutches. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, next up is uh, – I'm trying to deal with that. Next up is Captain, <laughs> Captain, Captain Nazi joined by Gil Kane. A great – I know you're not a fan of Gil Kane. You're wrong. Uh, it's a, a really nice illustration, like very – great pose. Um, I love him pointing his finger like a Nazi would. Um, I, will, I, I will say I think the serpent is striking and wonderful. Yes. I'm not a fan of the forefront image, like at least the face of the image, mm-hmm. but um, I love the serpent. Yeah, it's good to see him saluting. What's that? You see him hanging out with Hitler. That's, you know. I know, that's so funny. And who's the – I guess that's the scientist who created There's it. always a scientist. It's great. And then you yeah. see him punching Captain Marvel. It's great. As I said, I love the pose. I love his colors. The, the logo is great. I, I just love everything about this, this listing. Now, it, it, it's funny because you know, I mentioned the face and the foreground image isn't my favorite. But the face in the serpent, the close-up, is striking. It's yeah, amazingly mean. good. It is really good. Uh, I love that his occupation is would-be world conqueror. Um, you always joke about putting that on a job application. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, he um, if you read his entry, he they stuck a baby in miracle Grow. It's kind of what happened here. <laughs> um, and they grew Captain Nazi, so it's kind of funny. And then he voluntarily placed himself in suspended animation That's because nice. Captain Marvel was in suspended animation. That is dedicated. That is a dedicated man. Yeah, I tell you. Nice listing. Uh, yep. Next up is uh, Captain Storm by Irv Novik and Romeo Tango. Another one of those characters that at the time was not – like they basically – he was part of the, the group The Losers. Um, and they basically – it was kind of sad. DC brought The Losers back in crisis basically just to kill them off, mm. which was sad. They, they gave them their own special and then at the end they all died. So it's kind there was of, a there was a movie recently called there, Losers. There was, right. Well, that was the, the rejiggered. That was the Vertigo thing. Yeah, the I think. Vertigo thing. Um, but this is the. You see how tough Captain Storm is. He's still firing at people while his uh, wooden legs being shot up by bullets. Well, and it looks like he's standing on probably a submarine as it's submerging. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. He's tough. I mean, he's badass. Yeah. He's got an eye patch too. Yeah, he's got an eye patch. He's still he is still firing his weapon even though his legs being reduced to shreds. With the bullets, that is tough. That's tough. I mean, the bullet is going right through the wooden leg. It's great. Yeah, it is tough. Now, Irv Norv- Novik, I had to look him up. I wasn't familiar with him. And mostly um, an anchor. Well, um, he's also well known for doing Our Orient War. Yes. And ironically enough, another Archie co- artist. He used to draw a lot of the Archie superhero books. Yes, that's right. That's right. He inked a lot of Batman. Too. He did a lot oh, okay. of making. So yeah, I always liked him. I was like, it's, 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 it's a nice listing. You see him with his eye patch. You see him with the other losers. And it's, but to me, that the, the forefront image is great. It's a rare action shot. You really don't get a lot of of the characters in a scene. Hmm. Um, you know, you really don't see too much of that. But here, you know, you've got he's on the sub, and there's the water. I mean, there's a whole big thing going on. I just I never forgot him. His leg being shot. <laughs> his wooden <laughs> leg being shot up. I was like, that is tough. That's a tough guy. I mean, you know, it, to the jaded reader, they might think, oh, he's just a Nick Fury. But no, I mean, this no. is this, no. 
Yeah, Reed is interesting. This is a this is a badass, just good soldier kind of guy. Yeah, it's so. great. It's great. Very, very, yep. very well done. I like the logo too. Very, very classic Captain Storm. Yep. Um, next up is Catman, who is clearly smuggling groceries in his legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Art Adams. He's a te- but uh, the anatomy in this one a little wonky. Um, but it's it's a neat drawing. I mean, it, you know, it, it, hard to make a guy look like Catman look tough. Although of course now I know they've brought Catman back into making the kind of like a he was like a big villain for a long time in the two thousands of DC. Um, uh, well, they may, he wasn't a villain. He was uh, more of an anti-hero. He was part of Secret Six. Oh, he was. Oh, he was. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. In fact, I, I this is another one of those characters that I I gotta wonder if it hadn't been for who's who. Uh, if Gail Simone wouldn't have uh, latched onto mm-hmm. the character, you know, I, th- I, I think he's the kind of character that was going to disappear into obscurity, if not for who's who. Maybe so. Because he was embarrassing. I mean, I remember as a really. kid reading this entry, just being like, "Oh, really? Come on!" Uh, the, the the Art Adams legs in this one are out of control. Look at Robin's legs in the background. Those legs are ridiculous. Well, this is back when uh, Art Adams was tutoring, tutoring, tutoring. Tutoring Rob Liefeld on anatomy, because um, clearly that's a little Rob Liefeld action going on. Other than that, though, other than the legs, guys, I got to say. Oh, it's a great Rob, drawing. It's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. Well, I'm, I'll support Art Adams in just about anything. I think Art yeah, Adams. Yeah, no, I love him. I love him. I, I love Art Adams' work. It's just this particular entry, the legs are just out of control. But If you just forget the legs, it's a gorgeous entry. The it Surprint, is. it's got a lot. A lot, a lot of stuff going on, yeah. So. Uh, uh, go ahead. Next up. Oh, oh I'm, I'm not done. Oh, yeah. You know, Shag, we are halfway through the show, and we are like five pages into the book. So I'm I'm going to talk for a couple seconds more, more seconds. Oh. Uh, notice where his yeah, eyes and anyway, hair. So go ahead. His eyes and hair are cut off. It's yeah. clearly like a cutting pasting error back in the old days. I just think that's kind of interesting. You don't see that nowadays in comics, but um, the words "eyes" and "hair" are actually been cut off like yes. a, a cut paste error. Um, Characters inspired by Catwoman, and, and but things like he's got coils in his shoes, which give him cat leaps, and he's got like a mystical costume, which is supposed to give him like nine lives or something. So interesting character. And again, at the time, orange and yellow are, were his colors, folks. It's like hard to take that as a serious Batman villain. So, all right, now we can move on. Catwoman. Oh, oh, thank you. We can move on. Cat, the probably the best listing in the whole book. Catwoman, drawn by Dave Stevens. So. So I, I don't know how much I even need to say anything else. Whoever thought of this, of getting Dave Stevens to do Catwoman, genius. Thank you. Maybe that was editor Lynn Ween or somebody. I don't know. Great job. It's a gorgeous listing. I love the pose in the background of Batman with his with his hand on Catwoman's chin. The way that their their outlines blend into the outline of the moon. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece all the way around. And, and that sound you hear back in 1985 was a bunch of 12-year-old boys reaching puberty yeah. when they got to this Oof. page. It's that sexy. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, you know, it's interesting that they talk about her because this is the Golden Age Catwoman, the one who marries Batman and yes. is the mother of Huntress. Yes. Um, you know, they, they talk about how she was the cat originally, which is kind of fun because they brought that idea back of the cat for Dark Knight Rises. Um, and then in the Serpent, there's this image of her wearing an actual cat's head. I I was not aware of that period of her history where that she's was, wearing. That was the, her first costume. That's what I meant. Yeah, she actually looks like a, a, female, a female cat. So, yep. Oof, breathtaking this yeah, one. Yeah, a beautiful piece, and the logo is perfect too. Very classic '40s oh, yeah. musical script. It's great, great all around. 
Um, after that, uh, unfortunately, can't help but have a little bit of a letdown with the Modern Age Cat one by Brent Anderson, who I am a huge fan of. I think Brent Anderson, awesomely talented artist. Not, this is not one of his better pieces. I think he did another Who's Who entry a couple of issues ago. We said kind of the same thing. Did, well, I, I mean, I've seen his – he did a book with uh, an independent comic called um, – Somerset Holmes, which was a, a six-issue miniseries, like a film noir. It is a okay. beautiful piece of work. He did Kazar for Marvel. He did a book for Marvel called Strike Force Moratori, which was does great. Do, does he do better maybe with an inker? Uh, I think he, I think he tends to do better when he inks himself. Just this piece just didn't come out that well. I just think yeah. it looks kind of. She's kind of her pose is a little wonky, and I don't know her face is. And it just you know I mean everybody has a rough days. I know I do. So. Um, it just lacks energy. Yeah, and also, Brent Anderson is currently drawing the Phantom Stranger book. Um, oh, cool. For DC. and But this this entry just, you know, just, just misses. And it doesn't help that it's compared with the, the Dave Stevens one. Yeah. I mean, it's almost better that they weren't on facing pages. It's kind of better that if they were on opposite, like you had to flip the page to get to it. Because yeah. if they had been on facing pages, it, just, it, it would have looked that much. It would have had a harder road to... Compared to, yeah, I do like how in the text piece they refer to Batman as the Batman in capital letters. <laughs> that was a big thing, the. a big thing back then. They, they kind of yeah. dropped that, but yeah, for a long time he was the Batman. <laughs> uh, next up is the Cavalier, drawn by Alan Weiss and Dick Giordano. Great, great choice of getting Alan Weiss, who had a very illustrative, florid style, and it was not a typical DC artist. So whoever thought of getting him, good, good on you. Um, not one of the, not one of Batman's greater villains, but 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 a really great entry. He looks, you know, he looks really cool here. It's a really really nice drawing. Yeah, it's really good. I like how he's zapping Robin. There's a um, really odd thing in this text piece. Um, I'm gonna read a, yeah, there's a note exactly, <laughs> and it's specifically about Earth One or Two. Uh, notes: the Cavaliers of Earth One, Earth Two, uh, are virtually identical, save that the older Mortimer Drake of Earth Two has great long name. since. I know, isn't it? I think the same thing. He's long since paid his debt to society and has retired to his country manor to live out the rest of his days in peace. <laughs> in other words, Earth 2's, you know, I, I don't know why they felt, I guess because he's appeared at both pre-crisis, or I mean, um, Earth 1, Earth 2 origins, and they just, maybe, maybe they, he's just appearing in both and they realized, oh crap, we didn't specify Earth 1, Earth 2 with this character. I don't know, whatever. But clearly somebody felt it was necessary to, to say that. <laughs> At some point, they were like, are we really going to give two separate listings to this turkey? They're like, no, we're not going to. So we'll just sort of mush them all together. It's fine. There we go. Uh, right. <laughs> next is Cave Carson, drawn by Tim Truman. This was another you know, instance of Husu kind of picking somebody and picking an odd person to do an obscure character. But a great choice. Tim Truman, um, a graduate of the Joe Cupert School, uh, along with myself. Who's, you know, clearly the, the two most famous graduates, Tim Truman and me. Um, this came Carson, came Carson first appeared in Brave and Bull number 31. And it was never, you know, like that big of a feature. But um, it was really cool. And I was really glad that they gave him a, gave him his own listing. It's a neat, it's a neat drawing. I like the surprint. And the, it's all one image, but yet the surprint is sort of, you know, in the background. You know, it's it's just... It, he, I think Tim Truman is one of the few guys that did it this way in terms of that the whole image is one big image, but yet they are separated by full color and the monochromatic look. So it's, yeah, they just turned what was behind them into the surprise. Yeah, it's neat. It looks like a um, old school, like old school, like thirties movie where it's like a you know back screen projection. It has that kind of like yeah. King, Kong, King Kong kind of look to it. It's a very journey to the center of the earth kind of look in yes. this things, guys. Because yes. Cape Carson was an underground explorer and he had a team of people with him, and got to mention it. 
he had a pet lemur. He did, and he had a digging machine known as the Mighty Mole. It's awesome. Um, it's it's worth mentioning also, like uh, either it must have been right before this, I guess, that he was a member of the Forgotten Heroes because that uh, was right before Crisis, I think. Yes, yeah, would have been right about that time, I guess. Or maybe he was in one of the resurgence. I'm not sure. Either way, I mean, it mentions it here. It says him now. He's now a member oh. of the so-called Forgotten Heroes. Oh, there it is. Okay, I didn't even see that. Okay, great. Uh, next up is Celsius, drawn by Joe Staten. Uh, I am love Joe State's work. This is an okay entry by him. Yeah, I mean there was there was a period of time, you know, in the in the mid to late eighties on where Joe was not drawing as he had previously. Maybe is the best way to put it. Or, or yeah, in, I don't agree with that. I, I think he did other entries in this series that are great. I just think this one is just just not okay. Well, my my mind always goes to the Guy Gardner ongoing series, isn't right. that? felt to me struggled to me but um i got a lot to say about this one um oh great the, the logo is interesting and in that they really try to convey temperature they've got hot mm-hmm. and cold the graph line which is interesting it doesn't feel right but it's interesting uh, check this out I, I never noticed this till recently now she's part of the new doom patrol yes she prepared premiered in showcase number 94 right that's when the new doom patrol appeared right does that number ring a bell all new, all different X-Men, number 94. Oh, that's right. <laughs> now, admittedly, they had Giant Size X-Men number one first. But you had the all new, all different X-Men started in 94. The new Doom Patrol started in 90, issue 94. The the Doom Patrol and X-Men have this long history of a lot of similarities. Yes. I mean, the Chief, Professor X, we'll get to that in a bit. They both premiered within months of each other. I mean, it's just kind of weird that the new Doom Patrol and the new X-Men had that similarity. So. Yes, a group of misfits led by a wheelchair-bound right. major domo. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, good connect with the number 94. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And she's actually a mutant. If you read this, she's a mutant. Here's the creepy thing. her She's married to the chief, by the way. And she fell in love with him. It, it, it outlines here, basically, if you read it, da, 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 she fell in love with him and everything. Then she became an adult. <laughs> Oops. A little Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, <laughs> with that Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, yes, yeah. married a thirteen-year-old or whatever. Um, a little creepy, a little creepy. <laughs> it's a good, good way to get into the Doom Patrol, I guess. Um, <laughs> next up, this is kind of unusual in that we have the headquarters of the team before we get to the team. So we have Challengers Mountain, which is the headquarters of the Challengers of the Unknown, which we'll get to in the next page, drawn by Keith Kiffin and John Silardo, I believe, or. Or something like that. It's kind of hard to read. Um, thank you. Great. What a what a uh, base these guys have. This puts the Batcave to shame. I mean, look at this well, thing. This is like ten stories of stuff. Well, it even says right in here. It is. Uh, it is matched, matched only, only by the satellite by the headquarters and the Teen Titans Tower. Yeah. I mean, this this thing is this this is a toy playset waiting to happen. The challenge <laughs> of the unknown could be read, could be done as a TV series or a movie that I think would be amazing, but they, nobody's ever really done anything with it. They certainly tried to relaunch the comic a lot. Right. So. But I mean, as a, as a, as a thing outside of the comics, I think there's a lot of potential with those guys, but it's just never been done for some reason. But this basis, I would have loved this as a kid. This would be the greatest toy playset ever. Well, you mentioned the Batcave. It is sort of like the Batcave in that both Batcave and Challengers Mountain had to squeeze their entry, their, their technical drawing, into one page. Right. So it's very squished. Yep. Uh, I love how all the artif- – like on the outside of the mountain, they have these things called artery rock, which means yes. it's sort of for artificial rock. Yes. I love that. Um, now, here's the thing that sort of freaks me out. You know, this thing has what, like, I don't know, 
20, 30 rooms, right? Yep. And yet the guys still share bedrooms. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, okay. It's, it, it's an innocent time. I get it. But June gets her own quarters, the, though. What's that? June gets her own quarters. Well, yeah, that's why I said the guys, yeah. Now, if you read the entry, um, everyone was involved in designing Challenger's Mountain, except for apparently Ace Morgan and Rocky Davis. Um, I guess because they were just too stupid to help or something. I just, I feel bad. I'm like, they didn't give him anything. Like, you know, have Rocky design, I don't know, the gymnasium, something, you know, make him feel like part of the team. Jeez, guys. <laughs> So. Um, and then next up is the actual listing for the Challenge of the Unknown, drawn by Jack Kirby, Carl Kiesel. Good, perfect person to do the Challenge of the Unknown, since I believe he was involved in the creation of the Challenge of the Unknown. Oh, wow, okay. I'm pretty sure he was. At the very least, he was an early, you know, drew their early uh, adventures. You know, great drawings, get the five of them kind of just flying through space and doing various things. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's a great piece. I, uh, I had their showcase in my hand at Dragon Con. And I, I just I opted to buy something else. I think I bought a ba- Brave and the Bold Batman team up one instead. But like, I've always wanted to read this team. I'm fascinated by them. I, they remind me of sort of like an FF without powers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet they were like four years before the FF. There you you know. Um, and I love that. I mean, it, they and this got played out when they brought it back for the New Fifty Two. They they originally met because they were signed up to do a reality show, <laughs> which is crazy. You know, it was really more like a. You know, a, a, a variety show probably back then, but you know, still, it's just like, wow, that's dead on. That hasn't changed. Wherever the unexplainable threatens the innocent, there you will find the challengers. So cool. There you go. Next up is Chameleon Boy, again inked by Carl Kiesel. This time drawn by Keith Giffen. Uh, there you go. You see all his powers right there. He's turning into some big icky blobby creature in the background there. Um, not a lot of information. This is really more of an art piece, and it's, it's nice. It's a, maybe a little, little. On the dull side, he's sort of just standing there, but he's still nice. Well, see, I was thinking he's very heroic looking, mm-hmm. and, and for Cam, that's not really a big. He's not really like a Superman, you know, kind of dun da da kind of character. But here, it that's kind of the sense you get. And then the background, the weird monster stuff, that is so Keith Giffen, yes. late eighties. Yes. I mean, it just screams late eighties Keith Giffen. Like everything from the Doctor of Fate miniseries stuff that he would draw is like right there on the page, yeah. and. um now, if you don't know, Keith Giffen was famous for his work with the Legion at the time. So, now in the in the text piece, it mentions his dad was R.J. Brand, and I don't know that I remembered that. R.J. Brand's the one who's sort of responsible for bringing the, the Legion together, right? And his dad was secretly, the, and I never knew R.J. stood for um, Rene Jacques. So, <laughs> good to know. Um, <laughs> Some more, you know, kids. Uh, next up is Changeling, drawn by Jared George Perez, of course, inked by Romeo Tango. Another, uh, ironically, you've got two shape-shifting characters, you know, right together. Yep, and here yep. you've got Changeling doing what he does best. He's got a cheetah, then he's a chimp, and then he's Changeling. And then we see uh, a nice little photo of him in the background back when he was Beast Boy with the Doom Patrol. And I love the way Perez insets that, like it's a photo that we're looking at. Like you'd see it in a photo. Uh, I think that's a nice yeah. little touch. I didn't notice that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then you got a close-up of him with his little jammies on or his shirt with a little heart detail. So it's, it's a you know, it, it gives you a lot, an insight into his personality. Well, the heart thing's perfect because he's all about the romance. Right. All, and in fact, his marital status is desperate. <laughs> that's that's somebody having a laugh. <laughs> Whoever. Wrote but I that. mean, that's that's totally him. I mean, if you read those yes. old New Teen Titans, he's always trying. It's all he's. I mean, he's a he's a hound. He's yes. always looking for a girl. Yeah. Now it's kind of interesting. The little close-up picture of his face shows you that how much coloring his skin tone green defines the character. Yes. Because his face just looks. Like nothing, and like unless it's green, it doesn't really work. Right. 
So, uh, yes, that's all I got. Okay. Next up is one of my favorite listings, Cheetah Earth One Cheetah Earth Two Cheetah, drawn by Katrina Robbins. This is great. This is another instance of the DC editors, who's who editors, really finding somebody perfect because they found someone with an art style who's very similar to H.G. Peters, who was the original art artist on Wonder Woman, and they found Trina Robbins, who kind of even dialed up her style even more to make it look like an H.G. Peter piece. So well, it's, you know, it's really you know connection there, right? Trina Robbins. Yeah. What? She um when the original Wonder Woman book got canceled. Uh, right around Crisis Infinite Earths. Oh, she did the Legend of Wonder Woman miniseries. Yes. Exactly. She yes. did the, the the sort of linking piece between that yes. and the Fred series. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, it was great. I, it's, it's, I, I love Cheetah's peekaboo hairstyle down there. She kind of looks like uh, Veronica Lake. So it's like a nice oh, piece. Yeah. And it's, it's really – it's a really nice illustration. And again, it's, it's like it's doing something modern but also commenting on the past. Uh, you know, I think that's really a really nice piece. I think her squirrel tail is funny. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and how the cheetah dots are still clearly identifiable on a on a furry tail. It doesn't really work that way with tails. No, but, that, but it's a pain in the ass to draw that outfit. And oh yeah. Now it's it's fair to mention here because this is going to bleed into the other. We, it, this is two facing pages of the cheetahs. Nice, nice. And yeah, I want to mention Rob. If you look at them, you see they're kind of coming. It's very obviously these two were drawn with in mind. Yes. To, to be this way because they're facing each line, other. Yeah. Exactly. And this reminds me of when we had a discussion a couple issues ago, and I said I felt like the two Batman entries and the Batgirl and Batwoman entries were meant to be seen side by side. Mm-hmm. I think this sort of like reinforces that concept because clearly these two pictures were intended to be side by side. Yes. And I think, again, a couple issues ago, the Batman and the Batwoman and uh, Batgirl were meant to be seen side by side. I think it, it, it it's really works well. Yes, it does. And uh, the crazy thing is if you read this stuff, I didn't realize because we're sitting here saying Earth 1, Earth 2. But they're actually the same Earth, sort of, because Priscilla Rich, which is the original Cheetah, is the aunt of the second Cheetah. That's right. Yes. They kind of fudge that a little because clearly – the lines. You know, yeah. 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 Um, and we'll say – so we're talking about the, the Earth 1 Cheetah or the, the later Cheetah is drawn by Steve Liahola, uh, a, a beautiful listing. He, the, the design piece is great. I love her profile. I love the blending of the spots as it sort of waves the piece. And then in the background, you see, I guess, Cobra back there and her fighting. That's a really gorgeous piece. He did a phenomenal job on this one. It's like it's like if you took uh, – I am not. I don't mean to see focus on Archie, but her, the, the close-up of her face, the profile, is a very Archie kind of Veronica look. Yeah, there's no detail and, on it. There's no – it's just yep. the eyes and the – yeah, it's just the profile. There's no facial detail, which it works perfectly. It's a great piece. A great and you're right, design. the dots – the dots are great. You know what, Rob? I want this one to be one of our Tumblr ones. This okay. is just so great. Yeah. And and I, and I will say too, like, I, I can't explain it necessarily, but there's a, a there's a a real sexiness. Oh yeah. To it. Yeah. Even though it's sort of simple and and the plenty not, of neckline. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but it just mm, wow. Yeah, it's a great. <laughs> <couldn't remember. laughs> um, yeah, they're they're. This is like the highlight I'd say of this book is the, the double page of the two cheetahs. It's really really nice. Um, and they just brought the cheetah back into New 52 this month. They sure did. Um, next up is Chemical King, drawn by our pal, Dan Jurgens. <laughs> we can say that. We can say <laughs> that. And uh, inked by Larry Malstedt. Uh A nice piece. Uh, you know, I don't think there was a whole lot to say about the Chemical King. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, they, they really uh, let Dan do the work here because, like, the listing is, like, two, like three-fourths of the page is, is the drawing. Yeah, I mean, it not, only, the, the, not only is the text piece, like, I don't know uh, – 
somewhere between a third and a quarter of the page. It's not even all three columns. It's just <laughs> a couple. It's, like, it's really tiny. His now, name is, is Kondo Arlek, all right? What else do you need to know? Well, I always assumed he was a villain because anyone involved with the Legion, you either you had to be a lad or a lass to be a good guy. Right, you if you were like an adult name. You yeah. a bad guy. Right. And here, he was actually a good guy, but he was a double agent pretending to be a bad guy, so it all works nicely. Nice uniform. I like the black and the green. It's a nice, nice color. Yeah, nice design. Um, next up is Camo, drawn by Terry Austin. A this is great awesome. piece. I love his little edition of the gurgle sound effects. Yeah, he's got sound effects. He's got sound effects. Um, I mean, the Camo is an incredibly goofy character in a lot of ways, and so it's perfect you get Terry Austin to do it, who has always had that kind of light style. Um, it's great. It's great. You see him fighting Superman. You see him fighting the Metal Men. Um, it's cool. It's a great. It's a great, great listing. I like his origin. I mean, he's just, he, he was a disposal tank, basically, for a, a mad scientist. He had this human-shaped plastic form he would dump his chemicals in for all his failed experiments, and somehow the combination brought it to life. And like, uh, That can happen. That origin is so classic and goofy it, and innocent. I love it, and it makes his character that much cooler. 25 feet tall, almost 6,000 pounds. And his occupation is walking weapon. So cool. <laughs> great, great piece. Uh, another two next is another Teen Titans one. Cheshire, drawn by George Perez, again at Romeo Tangle. Again, not a lot to say about her at the time. They later made her a bigger, big, big part of the DC universe where she had a baby with uh, Speedy. Well, they um, mention it here. It's interesting. They mention it, but they say she's pregnant with somebody's from the Teen Titans. Uh, right, kid. a child that he knows nothing about. Right. So they didn't but, yeah, they were layering it in, but they didn't know. But they won't even tell us who the Titan was at right. this point. <laughs> Like that's wow. I mean, yeah, obviously it was Roy. For those of you who don't know, yes. sorry, spoiler. Great, great, um, uh, a great action pose. I love the silhouette of her jumping off the roof. That's mm-hmm. really nice. Really, really nice. Let me ask you a quick question as an artist. She has, you know, uh, a sexy top sort of thing and a skirt. And this is, I'm just going to say, this is an upshot uh, of her. Yes. And you're seeing up her skirt. You yes. can see her uh, her underwear. Like, as an artist, like, when do you decide an upskirt shot is appropriate? Like. So every once in a while, you get a, one, a Supergirl shot where you're seeing an upper skirt, and it's like, what's the motivation for drawing that just to answer somebody's question, whether yeah, she's wearing underwear or I not? Guess I, you're just, I guess you're just, you know, this is someone who runs and jumps around a lot, and so if she's going to wear a flounced skirt, it, you know, it has to sort of be flapping in the breeze a little bit. So, you, you know, I mean, Perez does his best to kind of keep it somewhat in place. It, it's modest. Yeah, it's modest, but yet at the same time. I mean, her hair is flouncing around, bouncing around too. Yeah. So it, it, you know, really get that sense of movement. I just always wondered about that. Yes. Like, it, at what point does an artist decide? You know what? I'm going to show a little this time. <laughs> I guess it depends so. on how pervy you're feeling at any given right. time you're drawing it. Uh, next up is the Chief, drawn by Odd Choice, John Byrne, who was not doing a lot of DC stuff, although he was about to. But yeah. he, he, I think he just loves – I think he later did a Doom Patrol series. So clearly yes, he, he, lo- he loves the Doom Patrol, I guess. And so this is probably an acknowledgment. He, this is this feels like something that he probably asked to do. I imagine he did. He uh, I imagine he wanted to do Doom Patrol for a number of years. Yeah. And they were he's like, well, you know, we've got this character who wears a red S. We'd kind of like you to do him instead, instead of Doom Patrol. So. Right. <laughs> I love that. You get the great action shot of the chief before he was paralyzed coming through this glass window like James Bond and he's getting he's taking a bullet right in the gut from uh what was that guy the uh, it's General Immortus General Immortus yeah there yeah is. I love I mean that's actually my note on this one too is I wanted to talk about that man of action sort of shot because you, you never think about the chief before he could walk it just doesn't even occur to you you know and here he was you know an adventurer so 
He uh, and, and this is where I, it, I mentioned earlier the X Men Doom Patrol. I mean, if you look at their publication history, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, um, the X Men and Doom Patrol premiered three months apart from each other. Yep. Doom Patrol was first. Yes. Um, and it's just kind of like a you can't help but scratch your head, you know. Horrific mutants or freaks being led by a guy in a wheelchair is, you know, outcast of society. It's just a little, little too on the nose. You know, in three months, probably not enough time to copy each no, other. No, no, no. Maybe it was. I don't know. So, all right. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of time for the chief logo, apparently, though. He's had to, just the chief. <laughs> um, and then, then we wrap it up <laughs> with. Uh, did I say that other page was the loser page? Um, this is the loser page. Uh, this is Chlorophyll Kid, drawn by Keith Giffen and Carl Kiesel, and Chris KL ninety nine, the home of the hits, uh, drawn by Kurt Swan and Romeo Tango. Um, Chlorophyll Kid is a member of the Legion of Substitute Heroes. He's a joke. He's supposed to be a joke. That's he's created the, as a joke. He's created as a joke. Chris Kale 99 is not supposed to be a joke, but and it actually it's a really nice piece. I mean, I we've talked about it before. I'm not a big fan of Kurt Swan, but I really love this drawing. I think it's, I, him and um, Romeo Tango make a nice combo. I love the lighting. The pose is nice. I like the uniform too. Like this this character is actually pretty cool. Like it makes me want to maybe dig up the character and try and find some of the some of the stories because it, it's I, I really like this listing. It's very classic 50s sci-fi. Well, I mean, it's it's right in Kurt Swan's wheelhouse. Yes, I mean, this is. this is his, this is his era to draw, so yep. it work it works really well for him. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to mention. It says KL ninety nine discovered more inhabited worlds than anyone else in history. <laughs> cool. which is kind of like wow. Take that. Actually, it, says, it even says as of this writing. You know, in case they want to change that later. But um, you know, I think real quick with Chlorophyll Kill uh, Kid, I think this is an example of where maybe I'm wrong because Legion was pretty popular, but I think this Who's Who entry helped. Keep him in people's memories yes. a little bit, um, even though I mean his stuff was pretty well received because it was funny. But <laughs> yeah, it I mean, it's, it's it's meant to be comedy, and that's you know it's very precious little of that in superhero comics. So yeah, well, Chris KL ninety nine in the in the Serpent, you've got his two companions, his two friends, which are if I remember right, are a Venusian and a Martian, and um, the one guy in the background. He clearly just stepped off the set of one of those uh, Japanese monster movies. <laughs> you know, yes, humanoid-shaped guy. <laughs> just a little wild, a little wild. Yeah, but it's a, nice, it's a nice illustration to end on. It's a real, yeah. it's, it's a really nice piece. It's well, really it's nice. sort of like you said. It, it, it does exactly what this is. This entry, as much as it's a joke, the KL99 one, does exactly what Who's Who's supposed to do. Yes, it acknowledges DC's history. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so then we end with uh, our uh, the little where can these characters be found? Now this book has a particular you know kind of uh, a heavy load of characters that really aren't appearing anywhere else. There isn't a whole lot. There's a lot of them left out. Um, but he, they mention the cadre and they mention Kane, Calendar Man, Captain Adam, Captain Boomerang, Captain Carrot, Captain Cole, Captain Comet, Captain Marvel, Captain, Captain Storm, Catwoman, Challenges of the Unknown, Chameleon Boy, Changeling, and Chlorophyll Kid. So yep. that, that's pretty much all they had. And you even see the cover of that loser special where they were brought back in the crisis just to kill them all off, unfortunately. Yes, yes. So, uh, but so that wraps up issue number four. Good stuff. Yes, good stuff. Good so, stuff. Um, we, uh, we are running out of time a little bit. and We, we still can have, do this. We, we, still we can have, do this. We still have feedback we want to get to, guys. So we're going to just barrel through this. And uh, if uh, we may even um, – just so this episode goes faster, you might want to listen to this episode play back at the double speed. Just so we're, <laughs> we're well, I just you know, folks, it it's obvious to us 
that the Who's Who shows are immensely popular with you listeners. And, and there are and, – and I'm, list, I'm discovering from the feedback there's some listeners that don't listen to the main show and only listen to the Who's Who show. Which is so. – I never thought that would happen. I honestly <clears throat> never thought that. Yeah, you were right. You were right. I want that sound bite. All right. Calm down. So, folks, um, real quick, we, we've, we're going to sort of change up our feedback a little bit. We're going to talk by person rather than by social media platform. Um, so just want to say in the beginning, if you're out there doing anything on Twitter – Please use the hashtag FWPodcast. Um, just a, as you're discussing the show, it helps helps you uh, fans of Who's Who find each other. So FWPodcast, that's for Fire and Water Podcast. Right. And then All the right. email address is always uh, firewaterpodcast at concast.net. Mm-hmm. You can write for both shows for that at that address. Um, we got one from Daniel Cynical Adams, Aquaman and he left us on the Aquaman Shrine. I think I should finally give credit to my co-writer guitarist on these themes. Of course, Dan and his uh, co-writer are the guys who do the themes for both of our shows. Woohoo! I feel like round of, a, round of applause for those themes, absolutely. guys. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like a jerk for not mentioning him before now, in spite of always intending to. But the very talented guitarist who couldn't quite remember how to spell that dastardly impish Superman villain's name is none other than Ashton Burge. So yeah, give him a round of applause. Yay! Or, or something so he'll stop sobbing and do his Batman pillow at night. <laughs> I love that idea. And as yeah. for the monthly award, how about the That's Who Award? Uh, we will get to that shortly about what we're going to name the Who's Who special Who's Who Award. And thank you, Terry. We got a lot of suggestions we for did. what to call the Who's Who Award. So that's great. Um, want to say thanks to Greg uh, Arujo, I guess is how you say it. That sounds um, right. He reached out to us through Twitter. Uh, he's at Garujo one and he gave us a lot of good feedback in the last episode. Um, he pointed out that Black Racer probably tangled with Silver Surfer during the Dark Side versus Galactus one shot. That's, you know, because we talked a lot about Black Racer last time. He also mentioned uh, we talked a lot about Blockbuster. He mentioned that Blockbuster died in the Legend miniseries. I had forgotten all about that. That's I right. That's where, that's where Blockbuster one went to. And then uh, <laughs> he, 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 uh, identifies, and I, I kind of envision him with his head hung in shame when he said this, but he said he's a huge fan of Brainstorm. And he's probably thinking, no, I'm not, I'm proud! But, uh, want us to give a shout-out real quick to our buddy Roger Preeb uh, over on Facebook. He sent us a note that he got the entire run of Who's Who for $24, which included the updates from 87 and 88. That's and a deal. That's a lot of comics for 20 bucks. He sent us, yeah. He sent us this picture of a slew of Who's Who comics all over the floor, which is great. Um, Wanted to say, thank, uh, also heard from our buddy Ryan Daly, who goes by Count Druncula, which is still the single greatest, you know, name ever. <laughs> uh, he just started a new blog himself. You know, we mentioned the Captain Carrot blog. Uh, he started a Black Canary blog. Uh, it's called Flowers and Fishnets, and you can find that at blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. Always glad to find another superhero blogger. That's great. So uh, he kind of went in and basically said that he's been listening to the Who's Who. Really enjoys it. Um, didn't know there was so much to know about Brother Power of the Geek. And, uh, in fact, he didn't even know it existed. And now he can never unknow him. <laughs> and he gave some great comments on some of the uh, characters we talked about. And then he said, uh, we should call the award the Hoozy. <laughs> like, a, don't overthink it. Call the award Hoozy and move on. Right. Um, Michael Bailey, uh, one of my buddies who also was the co-host on the Dragon Con episode of Fire and Water, he gave us some shout-outs, very nice, gave us some very nice shout-outs over on his Views from the Lone Box podcast, also on his Bailey's Batman podcast. So he wrote us a letter. I'm going to uh, breeze through some of this for the sake of time, but uh, he's 
Uh, he's really enjoying the Who's Who show. And here's his Who's Who story, because that's one of the things we asked all of you to do, is when you write in, please tell us your Who's Who story. How did you first get into Who's Who? So his was, uh, his, he says, his story mirrors his shags to a certain extent. As I got into the series during Update 87, I had just gotten into collecting comics, and DC was my home. So finding the first issue of Update 87 on the spinner rack was a big deal. I poured over every page and character. The funny thing about reading that so early in my comic reading career was that I would eventually read the comics from those entries that they were taken from and had this sort of weird sense of deja vu, like I knew what was going to happen even though I never read the book. Best example was Blue Beetle. It took me some time, but I finally figured out that I had read the Who's Who entry and thus I knew what was going to happen before it happened. It's kind of weird how that went down. <laughs> so, uh, he echoes our love for Mike's ex-Punisher. He <laughs> makes Amethyst joke that only I would get. Um, he also mentions we had talked about, I think, on our very first episode that there was one writer that did a tremendous amount of research before Who's Who was published. And I think Rob guessed it was Peter Sanderson, and Mike's confirming, yes, it was, in fact, for Yay. Peter Sanderson. He worked for DC in the early 80s, and his job was to read every single book they had published <laughs> and take notes then that would then be used for Who's Who and Crisis on Infinite Earths. And they ended up uh, combining that information to, to create both series. And then after Peter left, he went to work for Marvel and, one of the le- and is now one of the leading comic book historians. Um, he wrote a book called Marvel Universe, and then he did uh, Marvel Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Com- – oh, I'm sorry um, – no, he wrote a book called Marvel Universe, which was a companion piece, sorry, to Marvel's uh, Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Comics by Les Daniels. So, uh, Also, uh, he mentions Views from the Long Box, which is his, his series. Mike and I did a episode, episode 112, which was dedicated entirely to Who's Who. So if you want to go back and check that out, that's over on Fortress of Bailey Tunes. Good time. Got a very nice email from Mr. Mike Voiles. Um, I didn't know. I knew of Mike but I didn't know his last name was Foyles. And I'm reading his entry, and then I realized this is Mike from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. The indispensable. Right. I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, his website is phenomenal. Guys, if you ever want data or information about comic books, go out and look at Mike's Amazing World That's of Comics. A crazy site. Yeah, it's just simply mikesamazingworld.com. It's also one of the things people love is you know you can go out there and you get the, like, the date anything hit the shelf. It's, it is the work of a madman. <laughs> Anyway, he said he just listened to our latest episode, the Dan Jurgens interview, and thought I'd drop you a quick note. I think you guys do a great show. I like the interview with Dan and have enjoyed the few episodes that I've heard. I started listening mainly for the Who's Who episodes because I like that series so much. But I generally skip the episodes where you cover the new issues. Ouch. Stings. It's like lemon juice. Um, I like the friendly rivalry you two have going over your characters. Friendly? Friendly. Really? Friendly. I don't know about friendly. Um, <laughs> nothing against the Sea King, who I think has been unfairly made the butt of jokes too often, but I've got to side with Firestorm as the better of the two, though only in his original Ronnie, um, Professor Stein configuration. Mike's clearly an intelligent man of taste. I'm just saying. Um, keep up the good work on the show. Regard, regards, Mike Foyles from Mike's Amazing World of yes. Comics. So that was, that was just an exciting email for me to come across. Yes, uh, it was. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we got a comment on Facebook from Bradley Null. He said, I got my old issues of Who's Who Out just to listen to this podcast a second time with the books in hand. That warms my cold, cold heart. That's a, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the kind of stuff we are hoping you guys uh, would be interested in doing. Uh, we heard from Keith Samra, uh, our bu- one of our buddies from Down Under. He, uh, he wrote over on Firestorm. <laughs> I just realized Blue Devil doesn't wear pants. <laughs> And uh, he also thinks that uh, Jerry Ordway is excellent yes. as a writer and an artist. Yes. Uh, we got an email from uh, Mr. Oddly, which I believe is a, a villain, one of the more obscure 50s villains from the <laughs> universe. 
Um, there's a lot to say in his email, but I want to just hit a couple of points where he talks about over here in the UK during the 80s, the availability of DC Marvel comics was pretty sketchy. Lots of news agents sold them. You can never be guaranteed to find the same comic each month, and several titles just didn't make it over here, including Who's Who. Eventually, I learned that there were actual comic shops that eventually tracked one down. At the story, I found our first copy of Who's Who, number 15, and over the next few years, managed to pick up the entire series. The book remains one of the treasured possessions in my collection, and I always keep it, keep it close to hand almost 30 years later. There you go. See that, DC? Um, he also writes, I definitely agree about the art on Who's Who compared to the Marvel Universe stuff. The Who's Who panels are by far and best res- are, are by far the best and resulted in some gorgeous creative art from such a variety of great artists. Saying that, I always wish the entries were longer. I just felt we missed quite a lot from some characters' long histories. Anyway, listening to you has been a great excuse to dig out the old issues, and I've been flicking through them as you go along. You two obviously know your stuff. Thank you. I'm not entirely convinced this isn't a secret Christopher Guest project, because every now and again you get a bit bested show with your banter, and that's making listening all the more enjoyable. <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Other than, I don't know who Christopher Guest is. I hate well, to admit. Yeah, no, I, 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 I know what he's referring. I just don't understand how we're connected to that other than, you know, well, whatever. So, <laughs> Coonham, Blood, Peanut, Walnut. He'll get that. Okay. <laughs> Pine nut. Um, he also I just wanted to say thanks. He also gave us a shout out on Twitter, so we appreciate that. Thanks. He, for um, I, it's you know, another fan across the pond. That's great. There you go. So heard from our buddy Charlemagne, who's also uh, Roy Cleary. <laughs> the way he what? opens this is great. Oh, I hate Robin Jack. <laughs> there, I said it. Why? Because they make me want to go out and spend money. That's that's why. Not only did I go out and rebuy the Who's Who set to act as a companion piece of the podcast, now they've made me go back. Down, track down the 1968 two-issue series for Brother Power the Geek, the Geek. That's right. I did it. I found them on eBay, and I bought them. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there was a run on Brother Power back, Geek back issues because of this podcast, and those books will turn into pure gold. Oh, <laughs> and I love Bug and Bite. Love them. All caps. Yes. And then we got a, um, we got a review on iTunes, which I assume is also from Charlemagne. I'm not entirely sure. The name is Big Daddy FKA. Um Charlemagne's one of the co-hosts of the FKA podcast. So right, I assume that as well. Yeah, it's, it's either Roy or one of his, um, his fellow podcasters. But it, it's a very nice review. It talks about uh, how we rock. And then um, he goes on to say, uh, hearing them pick apart what is arguably one of the greatest series DC ever published makes an awesome podcast. And they devote each episode to just one issue. The podcast is even more ambitious than the series. <laughs> and, and it pays off. So thank you. Big Daddy, FKA. Thank you. Uh, the, the iTunes reviews uh, are incredibly appreciated and really do a lot to help boost the profile of the show. Thank you very much. Uh, we got an email, of course we did, from Diablo Frank. Um, he goes, well, you know, I mean, not everyone, if they just listen to Who's Who, they may not know uh, Diablo Frank's uh, our most prolific writer. Yes, our, he is. Uh, feedback giver. He gives us many, many comments. In fact, A to Z and then, then some. Uh, we can't go through all of them. So I'm just going to hit a, a couple he mentions. It always pissed me off when they get guys like Jerry Ordway to draw characters like Black Pirate, tricking readers into thinking these characters in any way deserve such loving attention. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rob meant to say screen tone or zip tone instead of duotone, a technique I adored and deeply miss. Paul Galisi was king. Computer coloring and digital effects in general killed its usage. I don't know if Frank's right about the zip tone duotone thing. It doesn't really matter. He is right about that computer effects have just killed it. There, no one goes for zip tone anymore. The, or even the look of it, um, thanks to computer coloring. Although we are trying to bring it back with Ace Kilroy a little bit. So there is that. Um, he also mentions uh, my reaction to most of the Kirby art concepts as a kid was very much, ugh. 
I still struggle with this DC stuff. Boy Commanders was, if I recall correctly, the last hit property of the Golden Age for the entire industry. I think the romance crime horror booms were in the nebulous period between superhero ages. Um, point L, that Sienkiewicz brain anticipates the Viznarnas of Morrison, and it sure works. He did do the first comics version of Moby Dick. You know, that's a good point, is that that brain drawing by it really does sort of like it's a hint of things to come with the doom patrol he's absolutely right yep yep uh never been a big fan of brain been a big brainwave fan nor a fan nor a joe staten one or once again shows up uh to make his kid look way cooler than he ever could possibly ward way ward way <laughs> um point r i like sean mcmanus on the right book sandman yes grimjack no no omega men who cares <laughs> I did. I like that book. I liked him on Dr. Fate. Uh, yeah, I, I like Sean McMahon. And I even liked him on Aquaman Sword of Atlantis. Uh, but Wanda Beast looks very nice under Chuck Patton's pen, and he's fun in the DC cartoons. Absolutely. And ends with Luke likes the Outsiders as much as Shag does the Detroit League, which is to say a lot of lip service but no devoted blog. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even catch that dig against me. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Dick. <sighs> That is, that is great. I don't, I don't have to do a Justice League Detroit blog. I know this crazy-ass guy who's got one already. How great so, it would be if there were two Justice League Detroit blogs. Oh, How my awesome God. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, um, I want to see if he's going to get behind the new Justice League of America book with Vibe. So, um, Now, it's it's also worth noting that uh, Luke Giaconetti, another one of our frequent writers, and Frank go back and forth about that very comment about an Outsiders blog, and they're sort of like bowing up yes. against each other about an Outsiders. I'm a bigger nerd. No, I'm a bigger nerd. That's not what they said, but that's the, the essence that's of it. That's the right essence there. of it, yeah. Now, both Frank and Luke do mention, too, that the Breathtaker entry, which was kind of like one of the main Firestorm villains from the last issue, um, Breathtaker's entry is great. And they all kind of like, yeah, he turned out not so great. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> and I've got some corrections here from Luke, and there's another writer I'll get to in a bit who also corrected me. Um, Monsieur Malat, the talking French ape. I kept calling him Monsignor. <laughs> I didn't even notice you were doing. I didn't either, which is you know like a you know a Catholic you know, job. Uh, whereas <laughs> I, I you know instead it's, it's Monsieur. So yes, you should be Monsieur Mala. <laughs> That'd be a great other character, Monsignor Mala. Right. Well, then maybe that's like his dad. You know. So, but uh, you know, Luke, uh, that was he left his comments on Firestorm fan also on Twitter. So and he said, keep up the sh- keep up the work on both shows, guys. Then we heard from D. Um, I don't really know D, but uh, I do know that D has a blog called Creatively Bankrupt. So it gave us a nice note. And also, D was the other person who was correcting me on Monsignor versus uh, Monsieur. So um, thank you for that. And he wrote, looking forward to episode four. And I like how he put episode in capital E. And he put the four as IV. It's like a, a Star Wars reference. So we got a nice shout out over on Speed Force. Our buddy Kelson gave us a shout out for the Who's Who podcast. Thank you, Kelson. Yes, thank you, Kelson. Uh, we got something from Little Russell Burbage. From Poughkeepsie. Uh, uh, n- no, he's from uh, uh, Dixville Notch, New Hampshire. Um, he wrote <laughs> on the Aquaman Shrine, uh, I thought the Bug and Bite illustration was terrible. I couldn't tell what their costumes looked like. Mean figure's too small. And the magenta of the background hurt my eyes. <laughs> I couldn't tell it was a huge computer until Shag mentioned it. Hey, Russell, um, screw you. Why in God's name are there so many black characters? Please, That's racist, Russell. Please tell me why a green and purple character is called Black Rock. Please tell me why an orange and purple character is called Black Spider. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, I love me. I, lo- I, love, I love Russell when he writes it because he, he just doesn't pull any punches. He really know? gets worked up. He really does. And um, I love that. I love his passion. So. Uh, I agree with Shag. Black mana is swimming. I always thought so. 
There. Blue, Done. Uh, whatever. Decided. Blue Beetle is hands down the best illo here. Definitely felt the love of Steve Ditko here from Steve Rude. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Russell. That's kind of a recurring theme. We heard from a lot of people uh, about that Blue Beetle mm-hmm. entry. Just mm-hmm. oof, so striking. All right, uh, Luke Dobb. Uh, we heard from Luke over Twitter. He says it took him two days to get through the whole Who's Who podcast thanks to workplace interruptions. <laughs> so, um, Our buddy Robert Gross, who goes by Martin Stein RIP, left us a very nice uh, comment over on iTunes. He said, Who's Who podcast is great. It brings back wonderful memories of the series, which is something you couldn't m- miss each month as a kid collecting comics. And uh, his suggestion for fans of the series, he said, Who's Hooters? <laughs> The best wings uh, of any podcast. Yes. Hector Negrete asked us what's our opinion of the new Who's Who in the issue number zeros. We we don't have time to get into it today, and we definitely will. Yeah. We promise. And it may be at the end of the you know, towards the end of the series when we catch up to modern day, I don't know. But it is worth definitely acknowledging that, you know, it, during the zero month of DC in September of two thousand twelve, they in the back matter of their books published a Who's Who page for every single one of their series. Yep. So that is extraordinarily exciting. Um I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just flattered and that yes. he was so impressed by our podcast. Yes. It brought the who's who pages back. We I mean, take total credit for that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just kind of like, wow. So, I mean, I thought about writing Dan and just telling him nice job, but you know, it's, I'll just go without. <laughs> I should have said something when I saw him at the New York Comic Con. Right. So we heard from our buddy, Randy Caldwell, who goes by Mr. Perturbed. Uh, he gave us a nice shout out on Twitter and a, over on Google Plus. Yes, Google Plus is alive and breathing. Thank you very much. Uh, we heard from Avery Barnes and uh, over on Facebook. Avery did say also, ironically, he wrote this before the issue zero came out. He go. said that DC should do a new Who's Who for the new 52. So, Avery, apparently you have the ability to make things happen. So, um, Avery, you could you wish that I win the lottery, please? Yes, please. Yep. So. <laughs> uh, Tom Panarisi. Heard from him over on Twitter. He goes by Tom Panarisi, and he just he said, just want to say, I love the Who's Who podcast. Thank you for that. Thanks, Tom. Then Keith, what's that? I said, thanks, Tom. Yep. Keith G. Baker, which apparently is on every social media platform. I'm looking for his Pinterest page right now. Um, he's over on Twitter at KGBUNC. He's on Facebook, and I left us some comments on uh, Firestorm Fan. He said, finish the episode, and I cannot express in words how much I'm enjoying this series. So I'll end my post here. Thank you, Keith. And Keith is a longtime buddy of mine. He, uh, he's actually part of the inspiration for Firestorm fan. So, Our buddy Siskoid, who quite possibly rivals us as the most knowledgeable who's who people personally. Actually, he probably has more knowledge than us about who's who, to be fair. But uh, Yeah, we're just doing a podcast. Right. We're, we just have the passion to get off our butts and do it, Siskoid. Yeah. So, um, nah, but Siskoid uh, is a huge, huge fan of Who's Who and has a great uh, blog. Siskoid's blog of geekery. you got to check that out. Anyway, he, he realized he'd missed two whole podcasts. He says he's got to get back in the groove. Why do I have to work, he says. <laughs> uh, Joe Mello, a.k.a. Caffeinated Joe, left on the Alchemist Shrine. Listen, last night, right after I popped it into my I popped up on my iTunes, loved it, and I love being able to see some of the pages on the Tumblr site. We'll have to dig out my issues so I can go page by page, maybe go back and start over from the first, who, first Who's Who podcast again. Uh, and then he left us a review on iTunes. The Fire and Water podcast is great. Love the recaps of the issues and the banter between Rob and Chag. The, the Who's Who podcast are awesome as well. Love the addition of the Tumblr blog so we can view the comics and the entries as the guys review, comment, and riff on them. You did dig out my copy so I can follow along for the entries, but this is a good compromise. Hope you guys enjoy these episodes enough to continue on to the Who's Who update and Loose Leaf editions. Thanks. We're definitely going to try. We are very passionate about this project. Uh, time is our only enemy. Uh, we'll so, both be but, dead long before we get to these. So, ouch! Thanks for that. Shag, I don't. Shag's children have to take over. 
it's I'm going to make them because I love these shows that much. There you go. Uh, we also got a comment from Earth Two Chris, who is the first ever member of Foam. Uh, listening to it right now, just want to drop a quick line that the 80s superpower era Brainiac was not designed by George Perez, but by Ed Hannigan, who I think was DC's art director at the time. Sorry about that. So maybe Hannigan. No, copied. that was that was that was my bad. So oh, I'm I, th- glad oh brought... I thought I said it. Okay. No, I'm glad he brought that up. Thank you. Okay. Listen to the entire podcast. I have to say, you and Shag managed to make what is perhaps the most lackluster issue who, who seemed like a lot of fun. <laughs> Even as a kid, I remember being underwhelmed by this one. It's no one's fault but the alphabet. <laughs> I won't try to defend obviously in characters like Bug-Eyed Bandit and Brainstorm, but BS, nice initials, does have one feather in his cap. He was awarded a figure in Ideal's 1966 Justice League of America figurine line, which means he made it to plastic before Hal Jordan. That is like unconscionable. Yeah, or it's unconscionable. Like, yes, thank you. Unconscionable would just be, mean you're not conscious. Well, that's what happened to the people that are listening to this right. podcast. <laughs> I think the standout entry in this issue was Blue Beetle by Steve Rude. There's another vote for there you Steve go. Rude. i just been introduced to BB in Crisis, like Shag said, but that long one page made me a fan of Ted Kord. I was psyched when his regular series began. Oh, and as for the Who's Who Awards, I'd like to offer two for two suggestions. One, the Yellow Dot Awards. Two, the Kurt Swan Awards, which is a dig at us a little. And then Diablo Frank came back and seconded Yellow Dot. So we have decided, yes, the yellow, the whatever Who's Who Award we give out for whenever we feel like giving it out – will be called the Yellow Dot Award. That is correct. That is and correct. it will be uh, a very thorough and you know intense vetting process of us simply going, eh, okay, yeah, give it that guy. Yeah, that's so, fine. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> there was one other suggestion. I think we missed it somewhere there for uh, calling it a, like the Georges or a Perez Award. Oh, I missed that which, one. Okay. Which honestly came in real close second for me. So but Yellow Dot. Yellow Dot. I, I was like, that's it. That's it. Uh, we also got a comment from the Toy Room on Aquaman Trines. Listen to all three Who's Who podcasts at work yesterday. Now what am I going to do today <laughs> for the Who's Who <laughs> Award? How about the Surprint Award? I found it interesting that over the course of three podcasts, that word was initially mocked by Shag, became ended up becoming used quite frequently after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could add something to the uh, lexicon of, of Shag. Yes, absolutely. We're from Rex Libris over on iTunes. Gave us a very nice review. He says, he can't believe they're actually doing a podcast about a comic book published almost 30 years Me ago. Me neither. Then, uh, then we got a lot of folks who gave us shout-outs on Twitter. I'm going to run through them real quickly. Uh, we heard from Lee Novak, which is Lee Novak 16. We heard from Joe Slab, which is J Slab 425. Alan Middleton, which is Professor Allen. La Cueva del Nerd. By the way, I listened to their Norm Bravefogel podcast recently, which is phenomenal. And they do this great thing because um, I'm, I'm a typical American. I don't speak more than one language, which makes me a terrible person. It really does. I, I'm not kidding. And um, – so, and, and this is a Spanish-speaking podcast. So what they do is they actually have the Spanish speaking in like the left channel and an English translation of the question of, of the questions in the right channel. Oh, how cool! Or I'm sorry, not an um, English translation. Um, wait, let me get this right. I'm Slow sorry. down. Norm, Norm Brayfogel is speaking in English. That's right. And they have a Spanish translation in the other speaker. So if someone only speaks Spanish, they can get the whole interview. But if someone only speaks English, they can at least hear Norm Brayfogel's part. That's cool. So I, I really enjoyed it. Great one. Thank you, Hector Negrete, for turning me on to that. So um, that's Cueve del Nerd on Twitter, folks, by the way. Matt Santori Griffith, who's Photo Cub, the Unique Geek, which is my buddy, is the Unique Geek. Uh, Raul Cotto, Verified. Verified. Fuego. <laughs> uh, Michael C., which is the Unmasked Geek. Rihanna Lauren, which just goes by Rihanna Lauren. Then we heard from Sean Myers on Facebook, uh, Abel Patilla. On Facebook, Carlos Mucha on Facebook as well. Then we heard from our good buddy Andy Capellas, who just gave us a very nice shout-out on Twitter. So, folks, just a reminder, if you would, please, if on the social medias, uh, specifically Twitter, use the, the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. It will really help 
get the word out there about the show. Absolutely. Uh, I think that is going to do it with this marathon show. Woof. Who's who, number four, in the books, we're done, and we hope to get back on schedule with the Who's Who shows and get number five up and going at a reasonable rate and not uh, take a month and a half between shows. We apologize for that. Yep, sorry about that. Now, um, you know, remember, hit the Tumblr, uh, which is what, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Yep, and you'll see a small selection of uh, Who's Who entries from this issue. Yep. And uh, just watch the Fire and Water feed for the next issue of Who's Who. Yep, absolutely. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you later. Bye now. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.